Lords, ladies, and lowlifes, I'd like to welcome you to the second season of How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. When my brewery was facing extinction for the third of five times, I poured my heart into a book by the same name and released it on Amazon and Kobo in August of 2021. That was my sordid tale about the mistakes I made and the punches I took over a 10-year career in craft beer. It was tough to write, but it was a story that needed to be shared and it contained lessons I wanted to make sure others could learn from. I truly hope you grab a copy and reach out and let me know your thoughts. In this podcast, I wanted to share the stories of struggle, strife, and sacrifice that other owners and operators have experienced. Some of the content is emotional, and some of it is inspirational. And I'm confident that if you listen closely, you'll find all of it to be educational. I want to take the time to honestly thank you for being here, and thanks for listening, subscribing, sharing, and liking the podcast. With your help and the help of our guests, I truly hope that we can teach the world how not to start a damn brewery. Hey guys, our guest today is Chad Mitchell from Beervana International over in Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia. They distribute beer from all over the world, but they've got an especially strong affinity for what we call American craft beer. As you'll hear, they're an anomaly in the beer distribution business. They seem to actually care about the art and craft of the beer they represent. They believe in giving honest feedback, legitimate sales projections, and partying like you absolutely love your job. They're beer nerds in a beer job, and just listening to Chad's passion should inspire you to be better at whatever it is that you do. Because I care so much about making you better in your career, I asked Chad to talk to us about what his team looks for in a supplier partner, and how you and your brewery can partner with them to tackle Southeast Asia. You'll hear my guests and I discuss depth versus width in regards to your distribution footprint over and over throughout this podcast, and I believe you need both to diversify your sales channels enough to weather the inevitable storms that are coming at you in the future. So he talks about mistakes he's seen, mistakes he's made, and how breweries can learn from both. Chad's a super cool guy, and it was an honor to talk to him about Beervana, as well as his brewery project, Mixtape Beverages. I decided to make our mixtape conversation a bonus episode 17, so sit back and enjoy this episode 16, as we focus exclusively on the story of Beervana in an international distribution done the right way. So Chad, I want to thank you for talking, thanks for sharing. And thanks most of all for giving an overwhelmingly gregarious fuck about helping my guests do better in their careers. So you own a brewery in Thailand. It's called Mixtape Beverage. Yep, Mixtape Beverage Company, or we've shortened it recently, Mixtape Drinks. So. Oh, yeah, I, th- I saw both <laughs> online. Okay. Yeah, we've been trying to clarify that. <laughs> we were said Mixtape Drinks rolls off the tongue easier. It does, and I'm I was gonna ask you later what the distinction of beverage is, but we'll get to that when we yeah, get yeah, there. For sure. but, and then you also helped kind of start up, uh, or at least we're in the beginning stages, I guess, of Beervana, the yep. distributor? Like, I didn't start it up. It was, I came in like about a year and a half, two years after they kind of started, kind of let out the regional development of the distribution company. Yeah. And built out the Vietnam side and helped manage the three countries. All right. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Our goal with this podcast is to try to uncover, in a big way, the mistakes people have made and then use those mistakes to teach people how to not make them again. One of the cool things that I think that you can help provide for us is, A, some perspective on how shit works in Asia, because none of us <laughs> domestic brewers have any clue. And then I think it's uniquely interesting, too, that you distribute brands from the United States. And obviously, that's many small guys' um, dream is yeah. to one day ship pallets to you over there and you sell it to a bunch of thirsty people on the beach in Thailand. But so we'll get to all that kind of stuff. And then obviously, I really want to get into kind of how you know, mixtape works for you and what struggles you've had in that brewery. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I happen to know of one right now about you not being there, so that we'll, we'll get to that when we get there too. But 
So let's, let's start talking about the distribution company, I think, in the beginning. And let's, I guess, just give us some history. Like, how did it start? When did you get involved? And kind of what exactly is your role? Yeah, for sure. So I landed in Thailand. Well, long story I'm going to tell you. I, I got to Thailand and moved to Phuket with my daughter and wife in 2015. No, no sorry. It's longer than that. 2013. 2013. Yeah. Um, we traveled the world for a bit. And I was missing craft beer. And I was like, oh, I'll brew. I started a little kitchen homebrewing in Phuket, Thailand. Started, really? Yeah. So homebrewing is legal over there? No, it's not. Really? That's even better. <laughs> and that's what I quickly realized. Because um, I was like, oh, I'm going to start a beer company. And my background's in IT, so that's not really the same thing at all. But I was like, all right, I really want to start a company over here. I really miss making beer. I miss making beer. I miss you know being around craft beer, and there's none here. And I could really, people need it. People need it, you know? And I was trying to get ingredients from Singapore and everything else. And in the meantime, met a guy who was starting another company. We joined together and said, hey, let's uh, let's import some beer. It's a lot bigger task than you realize. So, <laughs> you don't like, just call a guy yeah, and stick like, hey, it UPS. I'm going to call uh, Yo, you want to send us the beer? Yeah, that's not how it works. I mean, <laughs> kind of it is, but it's not totally. So instead, we found out that these guys had just started a distribution company called Beervana in Bangkok. So we contacted them and said, hey, uh, what beers you got? Went and met them. And it was like... Uh, a marriage made in heaven. We're like, oh my God, we get along really well. The founder, Aaron, and his co-founder, Brian, we were like peas in the pod. We had the same kind of like passion for like, oh my God, everyone needs to drink good craft beer. We can't make it here. So why don't we bring the beers that we love over here and introduce them? So so they were bringing in Rogue and Deschutes, kind of some of the classic beers and stuff like that. And I was like, in Anderson Valley from California. I and know these, the, these guys are both expats as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Aaron used to be, he's a reformed lawyer. Um, he's the true founder like the you know he, it's, his ba- it's his dream and then and Aaron and I are like weirdly like way too similar we talk similar we talk too fast and we have way too much fun together so anyways I was like hey man like hey guys let's you know I want to do something with this too why don't we join forces so we did and it was pretty awesome the idea was like we just really want to focus on always introducing crap beer the way we discovered it which is like amazing just styles amazing uh, passion from the brewers really really good beer our, our, our MO has always been like, if we don't like it, we don't want to sell it. So, you know, that's been a really big focus. So, yeah. So how, how do you go about figuring out what you like? So obviously you're drinking things, but you yeah. don't, you don't have a grocery store over there the way we do here. We're just going there's 350 different brands from around the world. Yeah. More than that actually. But so do you hunt people down online? Do they send you samples? Like, how are you deciding on the next great thing that's going to kill it for your company? Well, in the beginning it was like, all of our knowledge of the beers we love. So we contacted those breweries and Aaron yeah. had gone to visit a bunch of them and all of them were like, well, you can't have our beer. They wouldn't <laughs> let him? Hardly any would. And the reason was they're like, um, you got to keep it cold. How are you going to do that? And they're like, oh, we thought we just, oh, we didn't think about that. Like, yeah, like Thailand is really hot yeah. and it, we don't like, there's not a lot of refrigeration in a lot of places. So, you know, not only just refrigeration, but like, you know, they want to keep, most beers kept like below five degrees Celsius. So it's like, especially because after the travel and a couple months and, Got another six months to sell it, maybe at most with hoppy IPAs, less. You know, and the only way you can extend that shelf life is to keep it cold. So that was really the big focus. But yeah, so like we just were like, it was basically like a shopping list of like all the beers that we remembered and loved. And we're like, okay, we start talking and like, hey, I think I know a person. I know a person we can. So like they already brought in a few. I helped get in uh, Ace Ciders from California as well because um, I knew a person, knew a person, started contacting them. Loganius, we tried forever, but they have other plans. But I brought in a lot of, of my favorite breweries like Revision and and uh, knee deep and it's been awesome actually because most of the time when we think about the beers we love we reach out and they were sort of responsive and they're like oh you're in thailand no one's how much you're gonna want to buy like five cases like no no yeah. no, we're filling up containers like there's a market you know now it's kind of flipped i mean that was that was now yeah six seven years ago 
Now it's the opposite. Now we get approached daily by like I'm sure every brewer saying, "Hey, can we see samples?" Because they can't um, sell their shit in their normal market. Like, <laughs> how, where, where can we go to we double get, it? We get some of that, yeah, and we also get some of the big ones who are like, "Hey." My the owner has a big passion to go to Thailand. I'm like, okay, so he wants to hang out, which is awesome. We love that because, like, man, you, it's like rock stars. The craft beer scene in Thailand now is so developed that where, and that's jumping ahead quite a bit. But like, you know, when a when a brewer comes out, oh, you're you would be treated like a rock star, man. Like you'd really? be like if you had your beer over there and you came to visit and you'd be signing signatures. I mean, you'd be like, <laughs> it's it's nuts. It's it's kind of awesome. I remember when we launched Stone, the head of their international sales department. He came out to international development. Him and like one of the like assistant brewers, all I could send at the time because they're really busy. <laughs> when he came out, like they had the stone like cookbook and they gave it out. To, I mean, it was a crazy party, and they were asking them to sign the signature, uh, sign their signature. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, no one, right? Like, like dude, yeah. he's like, I'm just head of international sales. <laughs> they're like, we don't care. You're like a rock star. You work for Stone. Okay. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's well, funny is I had the exact opposite experience when I first started distributing around the country. Right. I picked places <laughs> I wanted to go to. It was like San Diego. We were in Portland, um, right. New Orleans. And every time I went there, I got treated like no one gave a fuck. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. exact yep. opposite. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, it's so different. It, it, it's, it's awesome. There's good and pluses and minuses to both. But, yeah. You know. Well, I took a look at the website and um, look, you guys have kind of three distinct Warehouses, more or less, or three, businesses? Three distinct uh, entities that are underneath one roof. So. And it looks like you distribute different beers at each. Is that by design, or is it kind of like certain just, uh, suppliers don't want to go to all three markets? Uh, the market. The market yeah. dictates. So it used to be that you know we're, hey, introducing beers, kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks. Mm-hmm. And now we're at the point where we kind of know what works in each of our, or especially in our more developed market. Thailand is our is our bread and butter. Like, we've been there the longest. If you go to a grocery store now, you'll see we import... I don't know, a hundred different brands a year. I mean, it's crazy. Like, and there's, there's four or five other importers too. I mean, right now at the moment, let's put an asterisk on that post COVID during COVID a little different scene, but I mean, we're in every grocery store. We're in most of the major grocery chains now, you know, or most F and B outlets, you know? Um, but so basically the market sort of dictates, but we also are pretentious beer nerds and, <laughs> and kind of, we used to be kind of assholes about it. Now we're, Fairly nice. No, we're always nice. That's not it. what I heard. I, I heard you're still an <laughs> asshole. Don't you? Yeah, probably, probably. I mean, my nose goes in there occasionally. My pinky finger out. But, you know. Like there's shit that you won't sell? Yep. Really? There are. Now, I didn't see any seltzers in your lineup. Do you have seltzers? Uh, they're so new. And we, we did talk a lot about it. And we've been trying to get some over. But so far, the test market over there hasn't really. I mean, they're, they're still super excited about IPAs. I mean, like, like West yeah. Coast IPAs. And, and that means developing Thailand. They're still not into sours. I mean, unfortunately, like we we tried quite a few. We brought in BFM from what Switzerland. They're pretty awesome sour one because it's always getting what we want to drink. Mm-hmm. But it sold. It sold. I mean, it sold okay. But it's not like not going to get mass penetration. And we're not ever going to be on the flip side. We did try to bring in one beer that was uh, we thought might work, which is PBR. Uh, don't work. look up the articles about Chad and Brian on talking about PBR because our ambition. Of what we could do as a craft beer distributor did not work with PBR, <laughs> unfortunately. People didn't get it. They didn't want it. So. <laughs> it's a weird, I guess, in that market, because we had talked about this before, yeah, so yeah. I'll reference it and you can clue us in. But your domestic beer mm-hmm. is dramatically cheap um, right? comparatively to what you're importing, right? Yeah. So let's do retail prices. Like retail... For a twelve ounce, or sorry, it's all three hundred thirty mils. Please over there. use so dollars, not dongs. Yeah, no one knows I, what a dong I was going to do bot dongs. <laughs> I was really going to get rupees. You know what? I'm trying to think. So a bottle of Singa at the bar is like probably three to four dollars. A bottle of our beer is probably around six bucks. Okay. So it's no, maybe a little less, three and six. So that's 
Thailand. So it's a little bit more manageable there. Like, okay, it's a, it's a jump, but it's not this crazy jump. Yeah. Vietnam, yeah, it's really cheap to get a... To, and Indonesia's the same. It's got... Because the tax laws are on alcohol. Thailand being a Buddhist country and Indonesia being a Muslim country, they both have a lot of, like, you know, morality ta- tax. Yeah. You know, like... <laughs> you know, so... When I was reading, there's an article, I don't remember which one of the partners said it, but they were talking about how Indonesia, the, the bars don't even face the street. They're yeah. kind of like... You can actually... It, it's almost like they don't want anyone to know they're drinking. Um, yeah. So everybody drinks out of coffee cups there. Yeah. Drink dark, so dark beers are quite popular in Indonesia because it looks, like coffee. It looks like coffee. <laughs> so awesome. it's all about you don't look, you know, get around. And I went to Jakarta, and it's it's a very secular place. It's kind of crazy. Like yeah. the, the bars there, they actually there's a thing. There's people say Jakarta is crazier than Bangkok. Which if you've ever been to Bangkok, I don't know how that's true. But going to Jakarta, I kind of saw it. But everything is like it's not in your face. It's there, mm. but it's just behind a wall or behind a door. You know, so. Which means it didn't happen, right? Yeah, exactly. You're off the hook with God, I guess, at that point. I went to this one bar that was called Underground or what's it called? Uh, underneath or Under Bar or something. It was awesome. But it was like a little like classy bar. But they went downstairs in this little basement. You have to watch your head. And there's this massive like bar slash club with like DJs and bands. And I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it's like nothing you've seen in the States. Like just, I mean, packed with like maybe a thousand people. It was just nuts, you know? There, there is that. <laughs> There's both sides. Oh, man. Yeah. It was, I mean, like broken beer balls on the ground. And it's just, just dancing and sweaty. And you're like, wow, okay. Obviously, pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it's deserted. Yeah. yeah. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. So what are the flagships that you have as far as like what's kind of driving the the revenue, at least in Thailand specifically, mm-hmm. um, for the overall for the company? It's interesting. I call it the gateway drug of beers. A really easy to drink IPA. It's pretty big brand. And it was like a huge, well, actually there's two, but they're both from Deschutes. And one of them was the Chainbreaker, which they don't make anymore. Oh, the white IPA? Yeah. That, like that was that. our, that was 20% of our portfolio out of like, I forgot how many beers at the time. It was like 800, no, not that many beers. A lot of beers. But we had like 20% of 20% of our sales were Chainbreaker. And this shoot's like, oh, yeah, it's not selling in the States. We're cutting it. Which is weird because, well, I don't know the whole States or whatever. And that was definitely kind of at the beginning of my career. But it was fucking everywhere here for yeah, a while. Yeah, it was wildly popular. They yeah. brought it back for a brief mention like last year. We bought up as much as we could. And I guess it sold really well in the States too. But I guess it's, I mean, white L's are just not. It's more popular, like Ho Garden style. Yeah. And then white IPAs, especially like, kind of like, eh, wheat IPA, hoppy IPA, hoppy wheat. Like, Maybe it was eh. the name of it, because like as far as drinking it, it was fantastic to drink. It's really, really well, crushable. Well with food, like it had this enough kind of like bitterness on the back end. Yeah. It was a good beer, in my opinion. Well, it was, it was perfect because Thailand. I don't think we've had any success actually, but there was a, <laughs> a. I honestly don't think so. Like coming in with like, oh, we got Rogue Dead Guy and like uh, Anderson Valley <laughs> Amber, and we got like IPAs. I don't think anybody even blinked, especially double the price cost for the beer. Oh at yeah, at the bar, but. 
Hogarten had, had made a huge, huge hit in Thailand. Like they hmm. were like, they're, if you go to Thailand, you'll see it kind of died off a bit, partially because of us. Not us, but us and other crap importers. But the big hexagonal glass with the big Hogarten. Oh, and it goes yeah. Really good with Thai food. Spicy food with that, and like seafood with that like white L, like, or that Belgian white L. Man, it's super refreshing. So that, and they already had come up like 50% in price. So like another 50%, not unattainable. Chainbreaker was a perfect gateway to the next level because like okay you like Hogarden now try Chainbreaker it's a little like, more flavor a little more flavor yeah. and check out these things are called hops <laughs> and like ooh and like you know that kind of blew it out of the water and then they cancel that so <laughs> in the heyday so we bought up every last we're like ordering all I think we had now we didn't do a full container of Chainbreaker we did a lot of Chainbreaker we brought it in and then fresh squeezed IPA mm-hmm. was kind of getting more and more popular I mean that would I don't know if it's as popular as it was in the States like five years ago, but it was everywhere here. Fresh squeeze IPA you can find anywhere. Delicious, crushable IPA. It's got a lot of hop character. It's got a lot of aroma. It's easy to drink. It's my, the reason my wife drinks IPAs now is because of uh, fresh squeeze. Really? And so that was actually, we were able to like kind of convert our drinkers to fresh squeeze. And so to this day, fresh squeeze is still, I think, can't say the exact percentage, but it's a significant portion of our portfolio. And it's definitely number one. Yeah. And it goes really good with Thai food. Fresh squeeze IPA and a Som Tam, which is like the uh, raw papaya salad they do in Thailand. The combination for me is like, man, I can drink, I can drink and eat that all day. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, those are flavors we don't get a lot of in New Braunfels. Right. So uh, <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. Have you had fresh squeeze IPA? I have. No, we've, we. That, I don't want to turn into a commercial for it, but <laughs> that, that beer actually had a minute here. Um, where yeah. again, like maybe it was after Chainbreaker that you saw it everywhere, and so yeah. It definitely did, but it, you don't see it at all anymore. So yeah, well, they tried to diversify because you know you need something fresher and newer and exciting, or and so like like there's a lot of Fuck. pressure, always something pressure. new. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about this before we came back on. So Deschutes released a fresh squeeze family, which is like fresh squeezed, little squeezy. There's a few. There's actually quite squeeze a and steam. Yeah, so they they capitalized on that, but I think actually they're great. They're a great brewery and they do great beer, and I would never say anything ill about them in any way because they're great. But like. I think that was like, it's great to have all those, but it was like Fresh Squeeze is such a phenomenal, outstanding flagship. Why diversify it? <laughs> yeah. You know? So that one still does really well for it you? It still does really great. Yeah. Okay. So it's still still number one by far. In Thailand, in Vietnam, didn't do as well. Indonesia, didn't do as well, but it, because uh, ABV tax laws, so it's a little more expensive, so. And uh, in, in Thailand, do you guys sell untitled art also? No. Oh, wait, sorry. Yes, we, <sighs> I'm so bitter about this. Uh, a friend of mine in Vietnam was like, yo, have you guys ever heard of Untitled Art? I was like, no, it sounds amazing. What is it? Cool. I, I called Brian, our co-founder. I was like, hey, dude, get this beer in Thailand. I'm in Vietnam at the moment. It's before COVID. He's like, all right, I'll work on it. We got it in Thailand, and I'm stuck in Vietnam, so I haven't actually drank Untitled Art yet. Oh, so since you've been gone or whatever? Yeah, so no, it's not there. Damn it. <laughs> no, right. yes, it is there. We brought it in for a small batch. Because Thailand has gotten so developed, um, and we have so much... We have more selection of craft beer there than you'd find in Texas at like Whole Foods. It's crazy. You go mm-hmm. to the grocery store and like there's hundreds and hundreds of different craft beer that you'd be like, how did you get Equilibrium from New York? And how did you get uh, Barrier? Because we air freight them over one or two pallets at a time and it sells out instantly at like ridiculous prices. <laughs> yeah, well, that was actually one of my questions. So Untitled yeah. Art for this area, at least, is one of those beers that's just always 10 to 20% more expensive than sort of its next competitor. So with freight to get it all the way over there, I got to imagine it's significantly we more expensive. Air freight it, air freight. You fly that ship from where? They, Wisconsin, two, uh, something like that. I think, uh, Michigan, yeah. maybe. Thought it was um, that was South North Dakota or something, or like uh, Illinois or something. I forget. I'm pretty sure it's either Michigan or um, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, it did really well. I, I'm still bitter that I haven't got a taste. I, I I see it on the shelves here, and I'm like, I'm kind of still bitter that I haven't got to have it because like it used to be like, well, you could buy it if you're here. You could just go. This, 
I was looking at the story earlier. Just send Brian an invoice or whatever. So mad. Market research. Well, I used to be like, hey, guys, send me a FedEx package to Vietnam of all the beer I'm missing out on. Yeah. They always hit me up. That's cool. (laughs) So when a brewery decides they want to come with you guys, uh, you have three different markets. Mm -hmm. What does the licensing look like for the brewery? Do you handle that as the importer? Yes. So what we do is like each country has its own compliance package. So like we develop, I'll send it to you after this podcast, but it's like a, for Vietnam and Thailand and Indonesia, we have like a, here's our compliance package. Here's what we need from you guys. Reporting um, and all that kind of stuff. More of just like, you know, what we need, like we need labels, we need uh, mm-hmm. HS codes, we need yada, 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 yada. There's like a five, six step for Vietnam, depends on each country and say, hey, here's what we need before we can even import the beer and don't mess with it. Like a lot of brewers, like, like they'll like, okay, cool. Here's the guys, here's the label labels. And then we'll get the import and we'll open the door and like the container will have like the label will be slightly changed or dramatically <laughs> or dramatically <laughs> or color shifts. Like, okay, we're changing it from red to off red. I'm like, Oh God, like you should at least let us know. Cause we got to go to compliance. We got to go to import and excise. And Even like, if the color's different, they give a Oh, shift? for sure. Yeah. It's got to match hundred percent. Well, th- it depends on the country. I would love to tell you, I've never done that here in Texas, but that would be an absolute lie. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So yeah, the compliance package for each country is the import package. It's like, it's like, luckily we've got it down to like a package. Like, hey, just send us this. You know, is it? I know even in the states, it's dramatically different um, state to state. So yeah. when we went to, well, in Texas, for example, even our brewery permit here as a as a domestic, you know, Texas based brewery, I think it's four thousand dollars a year. Okay. And when we distributed it in Louisiana, I think it was nothing. I think you literally just sent a pay. It might have been twenty five bucks or whatever, and then you had to get label approval on each thing, but. It's immensely different based on where you go. I think California right. was like 175 bucks, yeah. and I'm sure there's other states that are multiple thousands as well. And you know, if, if I'm a brewery thinking about going to East Asia, is that so? We cover that. Okay. We pay. Sometimes we'll go to the brewery and say, "Would you?" Especially if they mess up the the labels and like, okay, well, yeah. you, we already paid. I think. I mean, it depends on each country. Um, mm. There's a basic like registration for each. Because uh, if they mess it up, you got to do it. We again. call it a conformity certificate in Vietnam. They got to get that. Done, I think it's like around 200 bucks or something per beer. A conformity certificate? Yeah, conformity. That sounds very <laughs> communist. <laughs> I love communist <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> Especially right now when the country's in hardcore lockdown. And we can't so, I meant there. socialist. I apologize. <laughs> oh, off record, we got to talk about that more. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's actually... So if you look at all three countries, Thailand is... Indonesia is the most complex in some ways, but it's also kind of structured. Thailand is extremely complex, but there's a lot of like gray area. Vietnam is in the middle like they're very medium-sized complex complexity to get import uh permission but they're also like by the book like they they don't there's no gray like oh under the table coffee money they call it like it's very small coffee money coffee money in vietnam i like that it's a tip you know yeah which we do our best not to ever do that vietnam is minimally complex but like there are some like it's Um, easy for the breweries that's what i'm saying for the breweries like we're gonna say hey we just need this 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 we need this letter saying we can sell your beer in Thailand or Vietnam, or whatever. We need um, your labels. We need um, the ingredient list. That's pretty much it. And there's a few other. Each country has its own caveats to that. But basically, since you're since you're handling the importing, then the, the supplier does not have to worry about doing reporting. That's right. As far as sales, because mm. there's no way in like for, just to give an example in the United States, in Texas, and I could have this backwards because uh, we've been drinking some wine. Which, by the way, we should mention it's Trinqueros Petite Syrah from atlas peak and this is a 2014 just kind of an amazing wine and i really enjoy it's it really so nice. i appreciate you sharing it with me my my wife's a big pinot noir fan and so i usually get stuck if i'm gonna open a bottle i gotta finish the whole thing by myself so if it's a nice bottle i like to not drink it alone yeah because uh, i'll forget what the last half tasted like 
So I appreciate you splitting half of it with me. Oh, it's delicious. Then we can have another one afterwards, right? Absolutely. <laughs> or, or anything else you or want. Or more beers. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we have a bit of a selection. So anyway, my point was in Texas, again, I could have this backwards. So in Texas, I believe it is barrels that we report. Um, so 31-gallon barrels go on our taxes, and we pay taxes based on that. And with TTB, the federal government, we have to submit gallons. And so you've done all your reporting for what it is in barrels, and then you've got to go back and divide all that shit by 31. And, like, it, it's ridiculous. So if you, ought to, if you told me that to go to Thailand <laughs> that I had to then go to metric, I might just kill myself. I don't know if I could do it. Or, or case equivalent, <laughs> CEs. Try doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything's in metric, um, which is actually a much simpler system. The U.S. should get on that. <laughs> Agree. I've completely converted. My friends all hate me. I run in kilometers. I say, like, oh, yeah, really? I run 5K. Like, Chad, you're back in America now. You need to call it miles. You need like, to grow up, no, Chad. No, I will refuse. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I heard, again, this side, that the brewers actually love it when they sell to us overseas because much you do simpler all reporting. Because, like, first of all, we handle that side. So, okay, no big deal. We ask them for this, and that's it. It's, they, they sell us beer, and they never hear it from us again. Like, done. I mean, we ask for budget, uh, marketing budget, stuff like that. But, like, generally, they're like, great. It's so much easier than selling in the U.S. We have to have all these permits and do all, all this compliance. Yeah. And also domestic taxes. They're like, sweet, I can just produce beer and put on a, a truck and get to the, the port for you guys. Bye. Great. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So we've actually gotten some brewers. Like I said, we get brewers, like, like hype breweries that, like, you can't get outside. Like we got um, tripping animals outside of Florida, and I've like, never heard of tripping animals. They're yet. awesome brewery too. Like sour, they have sour mosquitoes, mosquitoes beer that they use skittles in. And it was oh, really actually good. Re- it sounds kind of like okay hype beer, but really well executed. We got them. Like you cannot get them outside of like a small part of Florida because they were like at first they're like you approach these breweries and they're like oh I don't know man how much work's gonna be like hey man like you don't have to worry about paying taxes, you don't have to do compliance in the states. You can just put on a pallet. Put this dock, and we'll take care of the rest. And they're like, oh, sweet. Because <laughs> well, you guys need small amounts of unique shit. Because exactly. that actually kind of and helps kind of drop, keeps right? The, it keeps the hype train going, all that stuff. So. Well, it keeps telling the story that beer vana gets Absolutely. the unique and interesting shit that nobody else gets. Absolutely. And if you don't keep telling that story, you are a yeah. liar. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be proven a liar. <laughs> well, so that kind of uh, rolls right in my next question, which is uh, can versus bottles. So I looked on your site, and obviously you have a mix. Some guys are doing long necks. Some guys yeah. are doing cans. And then obviously you have some bombers. Mm-hmm. So in the States, bombers have died. I don't know if you knew that. But you basically, there have been many retailers that have carried bombers throughout the years. And some of them still have some, but most of them have very little, if at all. So what is that like over there? Are you guys doing cans versus bottles versus bombers? And what's the volume dip between the two? Three. I mean, it's changing regularly. I um, mean, when we first started before, oh, actually right when I was joining, I mean, there was no draft. We were doing just bottles, you know, Anis Valley and Rogue, pretty much it, and a few more. Because there weren't on-premise accounts that wanted well, it, or you I just mean, didn't have the... I mean, keg's expensive. Yeah, it's, like, if you had steel, shipping it back, obviously it's a bit... Sticker shock. Yeah. You know, it's not even, well, we're not just steel. There's no way. So one-way kegs, key kegs or containers. But uh, the big thing is sticker shock. So a bar says like, okay, I guess I'll take a risk. I'll buy a case of beer at wholesale for a hundred and some bucks. I'll sell that and see how it plays out. It's a worthwhile risk. Okay, you're telling me you're going to put a keg on. i got to keep it cold. So we had to, like, develop. We had to develop our own chillers for bars. Because bars, like, we put Heineken on chiller lines and just in the heat. We're like, no, no, no you got to. First oh, of all, the, like, so the keg's hot and it goes through a line that exactly. cools it off. Yeah. Like, chilled as it goes. And we're like, sorry, these breweries would never let us do that. So we actually installed. That was the and, standard? 
hundred percent. That's awesome. Yeah. It yeah. still is. Um, we actually kind of led, I don't want to our own horns, but like we definitely helped develop the idea that like, Hey, beer needs to get cold. It's one of our things that we talk about more than anything else. And also like, good beer needs to get cold. Like pasteurized, whatever, Heineken, I don't care. <laughs> to clarify. Sorry, Heineken. But we actually developed, like, like ch- we took, like, the old idea of, like, the homebrewer's keezer, you know, like, just, like, developing oh, it. Yeah. And we're de- putting those in bars. If you look on our website, I don't know if there's pictures, but there's, like, of the old wooden Birvana keezers that were, like, a million pounds lift. Ugh, I lifted that on my truck by myself multiple times to take the events. And, like, why do you have to keep the beer cold? I'm, like, because it's a really good beer. And, like, you don't want to put a line chiller. It's going to be destroyed. Also, those kegs, $300. Right. <laughs> They're like, uh, what? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Like, <laughs> so we did kegs. So now cans and bottles. Um, bottles in Asia, cans are considered cheap. It's just like, you can buy the can of Singa or the can of Baba Ba or the can of Bentang. Anyways, in Indonesia. I wouldn't know. It's notice. way cheaper. It's way would... cheaper. And it's considered like the farmers, you know, it's like that. I hate to say, but there's a, you know, there's a little bit of like, uh, not caste system, but like prestige, you know. But we have PBR and, uh, yeah, we exactly. had Schlitz in the States. So, yeah, so like, same thing. They're going to pay how much for a can was a very hard argument. The biggest thing for us was that like we experienced some beers, uh, session IPA from stone called go to IPA was really the turning point for beer where we said, we're going cans more and more and more. I keep hitting this table. Sorry about that noise. I'm like slam my fist on the table. Just, um, just so you guys know, I would have edited that out, but I'm going to keep it. Oh. If you said that, <laughs> <laughs> that beer was significantly better on travel and transit in cans, like, like unbelievably better. The hops sell up so much better in cans that we're like, well, we're going to start doing hoppy beers in cans as much as possible. And we'll just, well, again, the, the freight quotes. I mean, I've, so when we ship, for example, and, and I want to get into logistics, but yeah. when we ship our stuff, it, we're all bottles and they're stubby bottles, but still we can only do 50 Heavy. cases per pallet. Only 50, not 70, right? You can't. Right. So even okay. just that number, you start thinking about like pallet spot yeah. and they charge per weight, but they also charge exactly. per spot. And so if you're shipping internationally, it's got to be dramatically higher. And we're trying to max out our containers and we're trying to mm-hmm. overload the containers that are too heavy up top. Like we're always, we're always pushing it too. Or I was like, Hey, I never thought I'd be like interested in like container loads, but it's become a thing for me. Smokes. I love loads. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You're going to edit that out. I hope uh, <laughs> we do big loads, huge, <laughs> huge loads. So yeah, exactly. Cans that too it was like, Oh my God, we can double stack these pallets. So we can get up to hundred cases on a pallet. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Let's do it. And, and the beer's better. So we just took our same mentality, which was like, let's go door to door again. Let's go back in the streets. Let's tell people about, let's intru- let's let them try it. Let's order half a container to start with. They're already ordering some of these beers, like Stone Go to IPA in bottles and cans. Let's let them try it. Let's show them. And actually, we could bring the cost down a little bit in cans, which made them also a little happier. We did a bunch of blind taste testing things where it's like, try this. And like, oh my God, so much better. I'm like, that's the can. I'm like, no, I thought bottles are better. I'm like, cans are better. You know? So bottles are the keg. standard until recently? Thailand, we switched. We started doing that about four years ago. Wow. Uh, Indonesia, still mostly bottles. We're switching over to cans a bit. It's a bit harder there. Vietnam, that was a big debate. But I put my foot down. And I was like, guys, if we're going to do it, it's already a pretty, it's more developed in some ways. A lot of local craft beer people there. I said, let's do cans. Let's just bite the bullet. Let's From the beginning, let's just do cans all the way. The jury's still out, but I think it's still a better choice. I think the quality stood up. Even So even for me, like... If I'm drinking at home, I I don't necessarily enjoy a can versus a bottle better, except that if I'm by the pool, by the river, whatever, there's that side of it. Certain things for me still matter more in a bottle. And Sours, so, stouts. I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, and if I did, I apologize. But for me, one of the ends of the world was when um, Taysan DuPont decided to go to cans. This I makes no not, fucking sense to me. I did not know they did. It doesn't I mean, make sense yeah, to what's me. The, why? 
I, no, but I the only one reason marketability, right? Like wow, Birvana wants <laughs> only cans. So at some yeah, point, but, if I can't sell in Thailand, I then I want to sell in Thailand. But and so that's a, that's a, one example. But I do think there are beers that do. And, and you know, again, what would you do if Cantillon announced tomorrow that? Them and Phantom were going to get together and, and have like a mobile canner come by. Dude, that'd be weird. <laughs> and fill 19.3 stovepipes or whatever, right? Well, one of the big things that we started focusing on was like, first of all, F the container, pour it in a glass. All beers should be poured in a glass. Sure. It's like wine. Pour it in the glass. You don't drink with a bottle of wine. Same with the beer. Pour it in a glass. Enjoy it out of a glass. Let, the, let it open up a little bit. Let the temperature get to the right temperature. You know, get in a glass. And That's then how it's supposed it. to be made. Sure. Exactly. I mean, unfortunately, beer is like uh, more of a commodity that we drink out of the container. Pour it in a glass and then test it. Like if if uh, Fontaine yeah, did that, like fine, I would pour it in a glass. I would close my eyes and pour it in a glass and taste it, <laughs> you know, and see which is better. You know, I got to be honest. Like, I use those two examples. If Jerry Fontaine did it, I don't know if I even buy it. And it and I love. I think they are one of my favorite breweries. But oh, they're amazing, man. In a can, I can't do it. Or to chess. dude. That, that might actually weird. eat the can alive. Like oh, probably would. Dutch just might just like <laughs> just, you just like fall apart. You know, that's, um, that's, uh, I would say this about, uh, Birvana, cause we're just beer nerds, is that we love our competitors, that we don't care if they bring in better beer than us. We're like, oh, we're the first ones at the line. Yeah. One of our competitors, competitors brings in to chess. And every Birvana retreat, once a year we do a Birvana retreat, which is nuts. It's off the record. I can't tell you what happens there. It's insane. You don't have to, because I'll be invited <laughs> next year, right? 100%. Yeah. Please do. Um, send us your beer. Um, but whenever we get a chance, we always get like kegs or, bottles or whatever to chest for our trip because it's so freaking good that beer is amazing <laughs> yeah it's it's not my favorite but one of my best friends is like he literally just loves it it's like he just my wife can't drink enough of it she's like if she sits around she's gonna drink it all i'm like okay <laughs> you know it's a good beer yeah that's uh i mean if you're gonna love a beer then you should love that one so. it, it's it's not i mean it's not fontaine it's like it's more it's different but so that's what i mean like i i'm more of a Fontaine, I, I love that dry, just mm-hmm. like almost like licking the outside of the fruit on some of the fruited yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, and for me, Duchess has like it is the cherries there, but the vinegars it it comes off in a way that I don't prefer. Yeah, but not in a way that I think that someone that likes it is dumb. Yeah, not yeah, sure. not like a fucking. I mean, um, now you're pastry at me and sour. Dumb, but <laughs> no, if you drink a pastry sour and you tell me you think that's great, this interview's done. Like we're over. I did make a pastry sour, a stout once. So. Pastry sour. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A pastry sour. Yeah. Is that a thing? It is a thing. I'm lost. What? And Sorry, I would love what? to tell you. Where, that, when, how? <laughs> I'd love to tell you that after the break, we're going to come back and talk about it, but we're not. I fucking hate pastry sours, so we're not going to. But we pastry are going to. sours? <laughs> we're going to talk about it all, okay. on during the break. But what we are going to do is we're going to come back, and I want you to talk to me about some of the breweries that have had some challenges with you guys. For sure. And if you don't want to name the names, I totally am fine with that. But yeah. I want to know. This is a podcast where you like speak your mind, swear a bit. I would love for you to, but right. you don't even have to. I, you gave me half a bottle of wine, so I'm going to speak the truth. <laughs> uh, we're not done. But, yeah, so I wanted, we're looking for ideas on the, if I'm a brewery thinking about going uh, international and uh, what, what lessons can you yeah. give me on things that we other people have done wrong. And, yeah. then, and so after we drink something here in a minute, we're going to come back and talk about that. Sounds great. All right. See you in a bit. All right, guys. I appreciate you sticking with us. We did get some beers and we have some backups so we don't have to take a break before the 25-minute segment that I said we would have. <laughs> Chad, I appreciate everything you've been sharing with us. And I, I think that if we were going for a goal, one of the goals would be that you could teach some people who are thinking about expanding kind of the pitfalls and the things that have gone wrong. So what have you seen? Obviously, you've worked with some small breweries in the past that have probably gone to you and it was cool. We're, we're shipping in a pallet. Maybe it's you know, an offsize, 750, 500, whatever. Or maybe it was cans, and it, it just it just didn't work. And 
maybe that was a consistency issue. Maybe that was a, a, a Thailand issue. Hmm. But what what hasn't worked, I guess, for you? Down in the back a little bit is like, I think with brewers, like, it's very easy to get like an echo chamber when you're a brewer. Be like, oh, this beer is really good. I love it. And I'm going to, this is going to be the next big beer. And you don't want to like sell out. You're like, no, I don't want to listen to like the market. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to rock through it. Cool. Do that. But also listen to your distributor. Listen to the market. You know, where you're trying to go. Like, don't. Wait, There's a fine line. As a distributor, you tell suppliers like what's the you're, you're transparent as to what's going 100%. on. Hundred percent. Oh, I don't, more I don't, weird than that. I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we. I mean, I guess we're we're an odd duck. I mean, because we're a bunch of beer nerds in Asia, like we're just happy to have the beer when it arrives. We're like cracking on bottles and like, yay, we got this beer, and we care. You know, it's, it's a little different. I, I've actually been surprised because since I got back to the states this time talking to people in the industry and like the distribution arrangements here are different and the way they represent is different, you know? And it's just like, it's weird. Like they don't really seem to care about the beer <laughs> that much. And like, sorry, distributors in the States, but you don't over there. Like super, like when we get a container open, it's like, it's like Christmas and like, we're excited about it. But then we'll come back to him like, Hey, we were excited too about this. It was a dud. Listen to us. Don't keep producing 2000 barrels of that. Cause you thought it was gonna be big and like, tell us that it will sell. We've had a, some outs with some suppliers over that like where they're like no you need to sell this and we're like listen this like, is the flagship you have to it's move it not moving and no. we're, we're telling you like we're not, we like it too but it just doesn't work and can we move it differently can we cut pricing can we do something different to move this beer and they don't want to budge like no no, no this is our flagship and it's like it works good in the states like okay but it doesn't work here and i think even in the states like there's differences between states of what works and what doesn't you know so yeah absolutely well, even county to county 100 percent City to city, drinker to drinker, glass to glass. It changes, you know? <laughs> I remember early on, one of my distributors, um, which was the Miller distributor here in town, that they had had a, I think it was PBR, I don't know what it was, but it was one of those like kind of mass-produced beers. They had yeah. an account in a city, just a small town outside the, out of New Braunfels, and, and they would, I think it was a, either a case a day, I don't know, maybe it wasn't a case a day, but it seemed like it was something like that, like kind of egregious. They would do a case a day of, of PBR. And it was years, like just like clockwork. And then it just died and it was like yeah. nothing. And the sales manager went over there and talked to the guy. And he's like, hey, what happened? And she just decided, decided to stop carrying us or whatever. He's like, well, no, Earl died. Earl <laughs> was doing 100% of the revenue of that beer at that store. And that was one of the best accounts that yep. they had had. Yep. And so at some point, it, you know, it doesn't. It, how do you know, right? Like right. county to county, city to city, account yep. to account. If a guy loves it and he keeps buying it or a girl loves it and she keeps uh, bringing it home, that's going to create revenue in that yeah, individual sure. place. And then if it changes, it changes. What do you do? You, you can't, you can't bring Earl back to life. You know? That's right. I, oh my God. We've had the Earls of Thailand. We're like, why is this account selling a keg of fresh squeeze every week? And they're like, Oh yeah. Another Earl of Thailand. Maybe his name's, uh, you know, not Hua. It's Vietnamese. Um, <laughs> can't remember all the times like Thai names, but it's like, you know, Taratip. Like, why is Taratip not drinking that keg anymore? Like, well, again, he's just, he moved. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but I think that's the most important thing is like, keep the conversation always frequent. Keep it open. Um, go out and look for yourself. I mean, you can't fly to Thailand, but like in your own markets, like go out and see. Don't just trust your, what your distributor is telling you. Go out and see it. You know, go out and go to those bars that are telling you where they're selling 10 kegs a night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, we wish. But, you know, like find out, like, you know, listen to them, but also back it up with your own, you know, verify it, but also like, if you have a good distributor, like trust them that they are trying to sell your beer and maybe there's a reason why, you know, that's not moving or it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so in that situation, that's a, that, that's a reality in which the market just didn't support it. Right. You right. tried and you didn't work, but right. obviously there will be times when 
and I'll preface this by saying, had I distributed to Thailand in 2017, it would have been a shit show. We would have had probably some exploding products. Uh, we might have had just, and, and even some beers at that point, like, you know, Blackberry is a great example. Even, even Cosmic Dancer at that moment that just were overly oxidized. They probably wouldn't have moved. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have gotten rebuys for sure. Right. You had to have experienced that. And yep. how did, uh, how, how do you guys deal with that? And you're fucking another country. You can't send the shit back. You know, I've got my distributor in Dallas that has talked to me before. I'm like, hey, and they're like, hey, uh, this just didn't work. And there's some, some product issues. Can you buy it back? And and I have. Um, not always, but sometimes. I wish we could go. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? Luckily, like everything in this industry and in, in the industry is about relationships. And it's about building those relationships really well. So on the supplier side and the retailer side. So we've had... We've had a couple times. We've had infected batches. We've had bad batches from big breweries. I'm gonna. Well, and it you. happens. It's not even an embarrassing sure. thing. It's, it's not embarrassing. It's a reality thing. industry. No, of course, it's a it's a it's a fresh food product. Again, I mean, same distributor that I dealt with. They had kegs of Miller Lite consistently that would have been bad. Yeah, and that's it's it's an it agricultural happens. product. At the end of the day, like we all talk about, you know, it's craft beer or it's big beer. Like it's an agricultural product based upon an agricultural ingredient that will have inconsistencies the fact that beer is semi-consistent is amazing well it takes a lot of science to get it there it does it which does. the majority of us uh small yeah. and craft brewers don't have so. but part of what craft beer makes it amazing to me is the fact that there are those little inconsistencies that makes it like, oh this batch is a little better than last time that's cool as long as it's the same beer within a range uh, yeah. that and when it's not the same beer or when there's a big problem is when we go hey so rogue brewing uh out of oregon like old school craft brewery i'm gonna give them a shout out because they were the ones who came to us before we even knew. And we're usually the first ones to know because as soon as we open the container, it's party time. We would crack open every bottle, uh-huh. every can. We do a QC session, which is like literally us getting drunk and be like, ah, oh, dead guy again. But oh, I get this good. I'm not sure about that one. Drink it again. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's all actually we're generally drinking the new stuff. But we always take a sip of the old stuff that we, the core beers, because we make sure they're good. But they actually came to us and said, hey, you're going to find that we had an issue with, uh, you know, 40 cases of dead guy. And because they care. And they're like, hey, we, we don't want that to be a representation of, our, of ourselves in the market. Pull it. We'll comp you. Um, they're not going to comp us like all the import taxes and everything necessarily, but they'll at least comp the, the pricing, cogs, like the basic cogs, like the basic like exports pricing. So that was cool. Like if you're that kind of supplier as a brewery, like think about that for your suppliers. Like come to them and be like, hey, here's what I'm willing to do. Usually it's a nicer place to come from when they're trying to demand it from you. No? Yeah. So Well, and that's got to be obviously that that's helpful they did that. But if they did that yeah. at once a quarter. Yeah. That also would be a situation where, right. well, well, they probably want to be a we're losing our ass, They're a good right? brewery, so they yeah. know what they're doing usually. They're like, hey, we're willing to eat this because we know this isn't normal. No. Yeah, we've had a couple times. We had to catch one brewery. I, I'm not going to say what it was, but they, they, we noticed it. We were actually on another Beer of Honor retreat and we cracked open a bottle and all of us spit it out. Like, uh oh. We caught it. We called them. They're like, don't know what went wrong. And like, oh, wait, you're right. Pull the test batch. You guys are right. Destroy every single bottle of that. We did destroy it. That was painful. It was a lot of beer. But they, you know, again, the thing that sucks when you're a distributor over there and like here, even distributors here, it's a lot of cost up front that you're like putting out. Like mm-hmm. even if you're returning some of it back, you're losing money. You know, um, it's a lot of working capital that time lost. Yeah. You're not going to ship that beer back. <laughs> you, yeah. You just why would you? Yeah. We actually gave it to chefs. A lot of times we're like, chefs were like, Hey, I can cook with that. So we know a lot of chefs and then should we do a beer dinner? We're like, Oh, it's using this beer. And we use the good product and we tie yeah. it. We always find some way of being creative. You have to get really creative over there with it. So distill it down. And the hand sanitizer was another thing we did before during COVID. That was we're doing the never anything that is COVID. We did that. <laughs> well, and that's a humongous pain in the ass. What if you've got a pallet that you need to dump? Of what twenty four hundred bottles? Something like that. I don't, I don't, 
Uh, Math's see. not my strong so suit. So we, like we try to max our pallets, but yeah, I said 70, 70 cases of bottles, 70, so 840, something like that. Who does that? Is that you? Just like, uh, labor is really cheap yeah, in Asia. Right. <laughs> I do have a, I do have a video of my daughter, like, uh, labeling bottles and, and, you know, breaking bottles at one point. So, yeah. So one of the things that I ran into a lot with, uh, some of my out of state distributors, and I still kind of deal with that, but I guess maybe less so because I, now I know, but is that regularity. So it, it, it's super awesome to ship you guys a container, but like in general, if I'm a brewery and I'm like, oh, I'm going to ship a container to Thailand or, you know, the, mm-hmm. whole, the whole beer round of uh, portfolio. Mm-hmm. Like, how often is that? Like, do, is that a quarterly thing typically? Is that uh, biannually? I, I can't imagine it's monthly, right? You got to, cause you got to fill the container to make it worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, it's all about consolidation, right? I mean, Thailand, man, we're doing a lot at one point. I don't even say numbers, but it was a lot. It was great. We obviously need our core beers. We also need the seasonal cool stuff as well. To kind of to kind of hype your brand and keep it going, you know. If you just have one core beer, eventually it's gonna peter out. You know, it's gonna be like cool, mm-hmm. cool, 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 cool. Especially in a developing beer market that's pretty advanced now. Everyone's like, trying something new. They're yeah. not like the United States where they're like hype, 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 but they're getting there. So like, and it's ninety percent locals. So they don't want your core golden anymore. Just you know, maybe it's popular eight years ago. Yeah, and maybe it still sells, but we need something else to kind of boost the brand. You know, so we want to keep that going. So yeah, a little variety is cool, but also keep your core consistency really good. It's important. And do you guys try to go to zero before you order new, or do you have no, kind no, of no, a, no, 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 no. Like, like oh my 20, god, a lot 30%. of a lot of projecting, a lot of like cool spreadsheets, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of planning. Um, the planning is intense because we got to talk to the brewer, the brewers. We got to see, and also we always want the fresh beer possible. So we're always talking to our suppliers and be like, hey, do you have like here's our here's our projections? Like we can't guarantee we're going to order this, but here's it close. Yeah. Um, maybe the market will fall off. We don't know. But we also want it as fresh as possible. Because when it hits the boat or hits the truck, hits the boat, comes over, we want that beer to hit within a month or two of production. So we do try to give projections and make sure that they're able to meet it. <laughs> well, that's an issue I have with some of my out-of-state guys is that they would uh, essentially place an order. Yeah. Or No, I'm sorry. So let's not get to that point. They would ask me what we're going to have. I would tell them what we do have. I don't even want you to call her. She's not really necessarily the ordering person. She would say, okay, I want that. I'd be mean, okay, we have that. And then she needs to send it to so-and-so for a PO. And then by the time I got the PO, we no longer had that. Yeah. And so they're like, well, do you want this? And she's like, okay, fine. Go back to the PO. And so there were times that it took, I'm not even making this shit up, that it took 15 weeks to get a beer out yeah. because it just took them that long to get a fucking PO. We're a little faster, but each country kind of handles. So I was doing a lot of that. Um, my buddy Lee handles Thailand. Aaron handles Indonesia. And so we're always kind of like, we're just consistently doing that job. It's like projections, planning, ordering, getting orders in. And then like, yeah, a lot of times like, like the brewer, like, Hey man, like, sorry, you ordered this, but we already, a couple other suppliers order or uh, distributors ordered quicker than you. They beat you. Hey. You can, if you up it to this, we can do another batch, mm. but I need to know now. And we've got to talk to your, so we talk a lot to, again, relationships. We have a lot of our Singapore, Hong Kong, other distributors, so a lot of times they're they're getting ready to order at the same time as us. So we'll say, hey, um, are you guys ordering this? Can we can put a big enough order where they'll produce another batch for us? It's a lot of planning, honestly. Like that part of the job stresses me out. Stresses me out a lot. I start stressed because right now, obviously, things are a little bit weird. That's why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> for me, as a supplier, like, I love that shit. So like it because it's a conversation based on numbers, and I don't want to send you something you can't sell. I don't yeah. produce something that you don't want. And exactly. so if you can give me the feedback to tell me what those things yeah. are. I either don't produce it, don't sell it, or do whatever. Yeah. And, and that, 
that's fine. But it's that lack of transparency. And yes. it's always been an issue for me. That's interesting to hear you say that. Cause like, I feel like maybe I'm tooting around a horn. Maybe I'm proud of what we've done, but like, I feel like we've always been very transparent with our suppliers. I mean, the only thing that sucks is like, it's a bunch of us trying to collate data and get it back faster. Like there was like, where's the report? I'm like, hold up it's like literally me and lee and aaron be like okay let's put our numbers together on a spreadsheet and like send it over to them yeah but we always been very transparent like here's here's what's happening in the workplace we'll go down to like this bar and that guy's name ed or whatever earl like we'll be like yeah. this is the reason the sales dropped off and we always try to give that feedback to the suppliers or like hey we just got to retail and retail loves this format of this of this beer in cans keep it coming so we try to be because like that's how you that's how it makes it work. You know, teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> well, it's a partnership. And I think exactly. when it works, it's a partnership. And when it doesn't, it's antagonistic. Yeah. And so yeah. the whole idea, and that's one of the issues, actually, I should bring this up. So you guys being an international importer, do you have what we can call in Texas and other states, the franchise law thing? So if I sign a contract with you today, is there 0% chance that I can get out of it unless you let me? <sighs> the wild wild east out there man do what you want <laughs> I, I mean like yeah, yes and no um we try to make sure that like we're the only we're a sole distributor each of our markets yeah. that's been an issue once or twice where we've had to be like yo you are letting these people import too not cool we're not gonna sell you i mean maybe i'm just feel i'm an optimist and i'm a generally cheerful guy like and all of us are like we have good relationships with our suppliers like so we've only been dropped by one brewery ever in the history of our of our distribution which is crazy we've dropped a couple <laughs> and politely we said hey like it's not working it's not us <laughs> or it's not you it's us <laughs> you know? yeah i've been dropped by a, a distributor before and it sucks but at the end of the day like the reality well in, so texas is different it's a it's a marriage contract and so the literally the only way that the brewery can get out of it is if the, the distributor allows them to oh really so it's a marriage for life and so damn they'll even go so far as to say like oh it's a two-year contract and we'll reevaluate it but sure but the legally, I can I cannot fail to renew, which is legal speak for I'm fucked. But so you're like, if they stop selling you, you still can't mm -hmm. go find. Ooh. There are marketed um, examples, and I hope to have them on the show, so I'm not going to mention them by name. But there are some breweries that we know of that that's been a big reason that they have struggled and like currently are out of business is because wow. there were certain. Obviously, it gets convoluted, but if a distributor buys another distributor. And you sold statewide distribution rights to the original distributor, mm. but the distributor buying that distributor distribution house doesn't have statewide distribution. They still own those rights, meaning they can still sell them, wow. even though they have no plan to ever distribute them. And Man, so that's... they can hold you hostage. And that has happened for many, many years. And so I assume there's been, you that's know, sad. at this point, who's buying brands? Like, why would you do that if... Yeah, it, it, Stone's just to destroy them so they're not com competition or something or what? Well, what I mean is like so Stone obviously is different. If you want Stone's IPA, you kind of have to have that one. But you could make it work with Lagunitas IPA. There are now there's so many fucking breweries in the world that if you can't get one, you can get another. And yeah. so as a distributor, you're fine if you're like, well, you know what, we hate that guy and we're gonna try to destroy his business. You That's can literally sad. just shelve him. And go get a half of ice from somebody else. Wow! And that has happened. Maybe we're more ethical. I would never. We would never ever do that. Maybe you are. <laughs> That's so <laughs> terrible. I mean, it defies the spirit of craft beer, and I don't like that at all, man. That's not cool. It does, but I think even. Of course, most distributors aren't craft. So they don't give a fuck about that. There's just another bullet in their arsenal. Like it's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we talked about this earlier. I think. Obviously, the, the majority of distributors in the United States, at least, they basically started in the 30s. And so yeah. 
they're a very different model than what we think of with the average IPA, um, even the craft lager. It's just it's not the same product as uh, the the premium um, yeah. beer. So yeah, it's a different Champagne model for beer. sure. <laughs> yeah, Ugh, that's that's down a rabbit hole. I got to come out of. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, I was about to follow okay. you down, man. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So um, in the states, distributors also have a margin anywhere from twenty two mm. to thirty two percent, typically on average, and some are higher based on uh, which. They're the thieves that I have mentioned in my book mm. that are pieces of shit that should die. But what? How, how do you guys figure margin? And you're just a little bit different because mm. obviously you're an importer, so you're paying a lot of different fees, right. and you have, to, you have to bake that in. You, you wouldn't be able to survive otherwise. Right. What do you guys do? Like, how do you, is it? 10%? We try to hit. We is try to 50%? hit actually a higher, higher margin. Yeah. Um, our goal is always to get a bit higher because like we got to deal with the import side. Yeah. Um, and everything else. And like, also like we have a bit more, um, shrinkage, <laughs> you know, like we have a lot more loss, you know, cause like, uh, by the time we get the beer is at least two months old. Yeah. So we have to worry about that a lot. So like try to balance it out. Um, that is a hard one. How do you, do you, do you calculate that in or you just sort of say like we have a, like a budget essentially? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think anyone who's like, you're going to plan, but you're not going to, it's never exactly gonna get that. plans are only as good as execution. I mean, like we, we do the best we can. I think, I think is the reason we try to, we always try to work with our, our suppliers. Like, how much do you want your beer to be in the market? Here's the current, here's the, we just send them a spreadsheet of like, here's all your competitors, including the brands in our portfolio. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to fit? You know, premium, ultra premium, budget, where do you want to be? And then we can figure out backwards from there. Like, hey, we need your beer to be this price. Are you guys willing to get there? The reason we need this margin, and we tell them our margin, like, this is why we need this margin. So that we can afford to do a cold chain. We also do, we're like the only cold chain distributor, and sorry, that's not the only one, but we're, there's a couple of guys doing it pretty well too, but we pride ourselves on like, we keep all the beer below five degrees from brewery to glass. That's our promise. Celsius. Yes. Yeah, Celsius. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically as close to zero as possible, um, yeah. without freezing the beer. So like we're trying to keep it fresh and that's a huge, huge cost on our part. And we've, we've done a really decent job of that. Cause like the only reason that you can taste Deschutes beer tasting as fresh as it does in the States in Thailand, like, cause we really try. And, so we say, hey, we need to make sure we make this much t- to cover that. If you want your beer being represented in the way that you brewed it and you want the people to taste it at the brewery, we have to do this. So um, are you willing to work with us on pricing? And we can't promise huge volumes, but we'll promise like at least like something, you know? <laughs> well, and, and then you have international claim or whatever. That exactly. is a big part of that. But so you skipped into one of my other questions for later. But what do no. you keep the temperatures at out of curiosity? Um, always below five degrees Celsius. Always. So even yeah. in the warehouse, all the way through. Like, um, <laughs> so I always come back to Stone because they they were really resistant to us to have them uh, in Asia. And we were trying for a long time because it was a big, like, Southeast Asia was like, oh, we like IPAs. And we heard about this brand Stone from San Diego. And we're like, yeah, we're going to try to get them. We've tried for a long time. They finally said, okay, after, like, quite a few years in business, they said, we've been watching what you guys have been doing. We see that you do cold chain. We see you take good cures with big hoppy beers. We want to make sure it's kept fresh. Yeah. And they had three-month date codes. Impossible. So we said, okay, you guys give us a little exception on the date codes. How long does it take to get it? Um, we just try to get as fresh as possible from the brewery. So it's, like, usually within two months by the time it arrives. So it's it, got a month to sell, plus we give us a little bit longer, and we try to push it. Usually what what I mean is, like, from the brewery to you, like, how long two is months. that? It takes two months to get it there? Not Not total. I mean, like, well... By the time we get through trucking, shipping, shipping takes about a couple weeks. Like so, like yeah. so, like by the time it gets there, about two months old, on, at best. 
a little bit under, a little bit over, somewhere around there. Which is fine for beer, yeah. Push it out. And that's containers, you know. But because it's kept so cold, and I I say this as a beer, not because, like, I'm trying to, oh, no, it tastes fresh. It is really good. Like, I have drank a year-old hoppy IPA, kept at that temperature, and it's quite good, actually. It's, like, barely oxidized. Our goal is to keep it below that at all times. And obviously, like, last mile is where we're kind of, like, scooters in Asia, and we're like, okay, put it on an ice. you scooter deliver? 100%. Yeah. Fuck, dude. (laughs) I looked up like all kinds of stuff and I, didn't, I saw pictures and I didn't see you delivering on a scooter, but um, I'm going to go find that. True story. Going back. In Phuket, when I first got the contract for Ravana, they're like, got to do cold chain. We spent months searching for a cold room. I ended up finding this old, this old farmer guy who had like a juice distribution company. He had an old reefer, refrigerated container on his property, 20 foot. And he's like, it's half full. Like, Can I rent that? He's like, yeah, it's right near my house. <laughs> I had a scooter with a sidecar. Literally, oh, I've seen this picture. It's crazy. A scooter with a sidecar, which is like made of like rebar. I used to drive oh, my wife really? and around to like her school, like around Phuket, there on the island. Like with holes in the side of it? Oh, yeah, dude, yeah. dude. I'll send you a picture later. It's nuts. Um, for, the, for the listening audience, imagine, if you will, a really beat <laughs> up scooter with like a sidecar made of rebar. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> um, I would put ice chests in there with dry ice. And I would pack it full of beer. And drive it all over Phuket Island, the island of Phuket, and deliver it to craft beer bars. That's a true story that's, of how hardcore we were about cold chain. <laughs> that's fucking awesome because um, one of the interviews I read, and I don't remember now if it was Aaron or Brian, but one of them said, like, yeah, don't, we're migrating away from the whole dry ice thing, and which, which I didn't know was a thing. That's fucking awesome. We, yeah. we use third-party logistics providers to ship um, foam containers, and we'd put them in cardboard boxes so they went not know was inside it because sometimes yeah. they want to take liquid. It's like, oh, it's just a package, like Carry Express, like which is like UPS. So like, oh, here's your here's your box. But inside was a case of beer with dry ice, and it would go two days with the dry ice, and the beer would arrive cold. And these people in the middle of Isan, which is like North Thailand, would be like, how is the beer cold? Or like, and there was like no ice in here because the dry ice had evaporated. Or like, and he just mic drop beervana. Yeah, yes, hundred <laughs> percent, man. So that's awesome. Well, I remember a stone. I remember was stone comes over there. They saw me doing this, and the sales guy was like, "I, I didn't mean to take it that far." Like, you guys are nuts. We're like, "Hey, you told us to keep it cold. We keep it fucking cold." Yeah, no, I'm, I'm keeping it colder than you thought. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna add one more thing. That my favorite Absolutely. story ever. My favorite moment of this entire journey. Well, there's been lots of good ones, but this was outside like, of this one. Yeah. No, oh, this is this is it, man. <laughs> Surrounded by all these beers. Yeah, 100. percent Speaking of my glasses, empty, bro. <laughs> now we get that. You want you want to take a second and open yeah, these sure, cans sure, of whatever this is? We don't even know. It's a solid silver can. It's fine. These out. are two cans that were gifted to me during a collaboration. Cans opening, by the way. Cheers. Cheers. It's hoppy. Oh, tastes a little strong. The only thing I know for a fact is that's from Infamous Brewing Company. And that yeah. Josh is a uh, alcoholic, and so <laughs> whatever's in there is alcohol. That's all I know for a fact. He's also one of my favorite people in Texas yeah. craft beer. But yeah, it's interesting. It's like um, it tastes big. It tastes a little bit like tasting an IPA ish, but it's got like it's got that it's banana almost like a hefeweizen yeast in there. But it's got it's got like, that, like alcohol big body. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, I have no idea what it is. It's, like the can's not marked. It's, I got a green dot, but I'm fairly certain that that doesn't mean shit. I have a red dot. Maybe we have different... Let's switch. Oh, yeah, maybe. I'm sorry. I don't have COVID. I actually am vaccinated. Me too. Doubly. I guess you're going to hit triple, quadruple now. I think yours is different, actually. Nah, maybe not. Yours tastes more banana-y. All right, so... Back to your story. My dream moment was... Uh, I'd, we'd been in business in Puget for about a year. 
one of my team mem- members had got a account on PP Island, which you know anything about Thailand or anything about how amazing that part of the world is. PP Island is like like picturesque. It looks like a pinched like sandbar. It's beautiful. You asked me if I climbed a mountain earlier. I climbed the top of that, watched the sunrise. It's amazing. And it's like Party Island. It's really really cool. Super overly tur- overly touristed. Um, PP uh, Island also is where they filmed the beach on the smaller island there. Oh. Um, so there's a lot of drama around that. Anyways, but I lived a ferry right away. So this um, account, little coffee shop, she's selling quite a bit of our beer. She's like, I need it. We always train all of our accounts. We that's really our secret secret sauce is we train every single one of our accounts every three weeks or sorry every three months. So I, was, I got to go there for training, but she also needed delivery. So I got to get on a ferry from Bouguet. In jeans, and I was still wearing like a button-up shirt because I'm still being semi-professional. Um, What's with, like 119 degrees, or something? yeah, something like that. But it's <laughs> tropical. I mean, beautiful, clear blue ocean. Get <laughs> but it's ferry. a wet heat, as they say in Vegas. Actually. Exactly. <laughs> Not a so dry heat. No. <laughs> so I load up this this uh, container with beer, this two or three two ice chests. Me and my uh, my sales guy were carrying it, and um, I thought I was big pimping. I finally had a sales guy to help me because it was just me before. It's like, damn, we're, we're, we're making it. I'm going to PP Island to sell beer. I'm like, this little tiny island of like coffee shops and party island. Like, this is, this, we've arrived. We get to the island. They're like, oh, that place is around the island. You have to get on a long, <laughs> a long, you have to get on, a, you can walk it. You can walk over the mountain and walk over there. And I was like, or you can jump on this long tail boat, which is like tourist, like Mecca. I was like, oh my God, like, I love long tails. So I jump on the long tail with this dry ice. I'm still carrying this ice chest. And then they get around the side and it's like a resort. It's like a Hilton or something on the island. And I had to jump off there and walk through their resort to get to the coffee shop. So I'm like, I'm literally jumping through tropical sea waves, like tourists in bikinis all around me. And like beer guy. Semi, in a jeans and like a button up shirt, holding an ice chest full of fresh craft beer from the United States. Walking up to like this little resort, little coffee shop, in the middle of nowhere on an island. I'm like, this is the fucking life, man. That's, what we, that's basically, basically what we all signed up for. <sighs> At the end of the day. Man, I miss it so much. <laughs> and, and ever since then, it's been downhill. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. It's <laughs> it's, it's always uphill, man. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Just a lot of bumps and like ditches on the way. <laughs> so what is the hardest style of beer you have sold to East Asians? I'm curious. Like, What what does no one want that we like in the United States? I'm curious. It's got to be something. Um, I'll let you figure it out. It's super hot over there. Super hot. So what do you think people don't want? Stouts. I love yeah, drinking stouts. Big, in the big hot. heavy stouts. It's hard. Sours are hard. Um, Which is so interesting question, and obviously this yeah. falls into my wheelhouse. So people have told me many times, like I like your beer, but I typically drink it in summer. Like I, it's a hmm. it's a hot weather beer for me, yeah. and that could be them <laughs> very logistically uh, putting me off to say like I don't ever want to drink your fucking beer, but I'm not, it's winter and I'm not Maybe. telling you. But in Texas, it's kind of like a hot weather product. So not I think. I think the sour thing doesn't really work because it's just not expected. It's starting to get there a little bit. I, I look at like beers, like there's a graduated level. It's like, oh, wheats, you know, German lagers, wheats, kind of entry level. You kind of move up, move up to different styles. IPAs being kind of middle, upper range. Stouts, big stouts. And sours are like the master's level, the PhD level of beer. Like by the time you get there, you've experienced all the beer. It's very rare yeah. that people go directly into sours. Maybe kettle sours. Kettle sours are a bit lower, like more entry level, but like proper like mixed fermentation, like bread and demices, all that funky shit. That's like next level. So I think it's not we, there yet. We also have the other side. So we're a tourist town. Um, to take that, take that for what it's worth. And this yeah. is a little bit sexist, but it's not in the sense that I don't mean it that way. But a lot of women come in that aren't beer drinkers. In yeah. fact, we had one earlier today. 
And so when they taste our beer, it doesn't taste like beer. Yeah. And so we we get a lot of wine drinking people who normally don't like beer who are into right. what we do because and granted we have a lot of wine influences yeah. in what we make but uh, i think sour beer has especially mixed culture has a lot more in common with wine for sure um i think that's actually like i hate my pet peeve especially in asia because like i'm sorry sexism is on a whole different level there than it is here like they haven't even they, oh, man i can't that's a whole other topic we'll talk about off this record no that's, um, a, that's my next podcast <laughs> sexism and beer oh man um in asia man (laughs) we try to do the best we can but oh boy um but i really hate when people say this is a a beer for guys or beer for girls it really bugs me because i'm like are you kidding me so uh, and girls really hate that and even guys really hate it yeah it's really annoying it's uh, stupid like i i think beer is in the in the mouth of the beer holder like like, i hate the your taste like you're just like oh this is good or not like Everybody's different flavors they like. Having said that, actually, I mean, yes, am I more true that girls tend to like a little more f- fruity, sour things? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to go on record of saying that. <laughs> it, just, it just bugs me because, like, <sighs> I don't know. I guess I don't have a good answer for that. It's like, I, so Rebeus, Founders Rebeus, they have a raspberry yeah, ale. Raspberry. That's done very well for us in Asia. And that's not a beer that, oh, it's for girls. Like, you, you, you Vietnamese, you'll go in the bar, mm. tie, oh, oh, this is for the girl audience. I'm like, um, actually, it's funny because like a lot of people I know drink that are dudes. So like you're you're hurting your market. So don't market to girls. Dumb. You know, just like let it be a beer and people like it. They like it. They don't like it. Um, but yeah, sours are just. I think sour flavor is really popular in Vietnam with certain foods, but it doesn't translate into drinks. There's no sour drinks. So I think this doesn't work well. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. We've had a few counts, and it made it interesting to me. I should clarify. Yeah. We made a beer, and we still do, but it's usually annual. And I didn't make it this year, but. It has a lemongrass and Ooh, okay. wildflower honey yeah. in it, and so it's lemongrass. Hopefully, in low doses, not too over the top. <laughs> well, it's fresh lemongrass, and oh, so nice. it presents differently. The oils don't really come through uh, the way that I make it. But anyways, nice. We've had a few kind of Asian-inspired restaurants, and I'm honestly I don't remember now what they were. Yeah. They were Vietnamese or um, Chinese or whatever, but yeah. they'd put it on specifically because it worked, quote unquote, with the flavor profile. Yeah, for sure. And I I've always been the kind of person that I think that. Adding the lemongrass in the beer because the lemongrass is in the food is kind of a boring pairing. Like that's not interesting, and it was actually better to do something compliment or two on the nose, <laughs> uh, not compliment. What's the opposite? Contradictory. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, if it's if it's contrast a sweet, or compliment, right? Yeah, I think the best pairings are where it's like it's a sweet dish and you had a salty yes. thing. And you're like, holy fuck! That in my 100%. mouth did something different, and 100%. I didn't realize it. And uh, there was a winery here in Texas that, which of all places, I thought was strange that. They had a tasting menu, and the tasting menu was designed as contrast. Yeah. And so every wine's character was contrasted by the food, and it was <laughs> awesome. I loved the experience. And so yeah. I've always I've been more impressed with those, in my personal opinion. We were really lucky with um, Birvana because Brian, our co-founder, is a chef. And so he had a lot of connections with the F&B world. So like Bolon and like uh, Soul Food, if you look at these places up, they were quite big until COVID. Like they're like, for, like great food. So we did a lot of uh, food pairings. Like that was actually what helped us get a lot of groundswell. It was like constantly doing food pairings, which is also super fun. You eat all the best food, talk about beer, get drunk, eat great food. But a lot of it is like that. It's like I think I found contrasts work really well. Com- complimentary, it has to complement in such a way that like it accentuates both dishes. You know. Well, it's interesting, but like. If I'm eating a brownie and you put brownie in the stout, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't. It's just work. like, oh, I got a bucket of brownies. Like, right. that, but fine. if you have like a walnut brownie and you have like a, or no, sorry, a brownie, like a chocolate brownie, and you have a walnut stout or something, like, oh, that right. works. You know, those are flavors that work together. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. But it's like 
Browning your bike? No, that's stupid. It's Chocolate overdose. in the food, mint in the beer, or whatever. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So I agree. Yeah, so. I, th- I think I think uh, we have had some good success with some sours in in Thailand because it's the most advanced. I think there'll be more. Um, Gozas work really well. Actually, Gozas are doing better and better and better. Yeah. Have you ever had Anderson Valley's uh, watermelon Goza? Brandy I've Melon? had their Gozas, but I don't know if I had watermelon. They're, well, they they dominated Texas for a minute, like four years ago. Shout out to Fal Allen. I don't know if you know Fal. He's <laughs> a fucking awesome dude. Um, he makes he wrote the book on Gozas. He literally, or Gozas, or Gozas, however you want to say it. I say Gozas. I don't feel like I say Goza, but I don't know if okay, I'm right. Me too. It doesn't I, matter. I assume that's right, but I've heard a lot of people argue that point. Actually, um, so we make a beer called Jose. Okay. Which is, uh, it's made from wine grapes. It's wine pomace. It's salt. It's essentially a goza made with wine. Nice. And uh, so it's called Jose, the Rose Goza, <laughs> specifically so people will fuck it up. Yeah. So yeah. it's like Jose, Jose the Rose Goes. Like, I don't know. It's, yeah, just, yeah. it's fun. It's That's fun awesome. Beer. Yeah. Yeah. So he makes, uh, I mean, he started with the Kimmy, the Yink, and the Holy Goza. And then he had the, like, Anderson Valley Boonville is crazy. But Fal, he, he, like, his Brandy Melon Goza is, it's a, quite a hit in all of our countries it's really Really? refreshing it's light it's a little bit salty a little sour not too much you know it seems like that flavor profile would make sense with with the vietnamese food that i've had and granted that's only based on on beaches in thailand just crush that really (laughs) Um, yeah man i mean it's like so refreshing it's like gatorade (laughs) i expect you to show me when i come over there oh man so (laughs) we're gonna get new Braunfels in thailand and we're gonna crush it and you're gonna come over and party (laughs) yeah no either way we're gonna come over and party oh yeah 100 percent yeah (laughs) Speaking of which, uh, let's take a quick break. I've got one kind of big question to ask you about uh, Beervana, and then I really want to learn about mixtape. And so this kind of last segment is going to be all about what you're doing with your brewery and uh, how it's working over there. Sounds good. So, hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at BreweryDirect.com, or just type Brewery Direct into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. Remember when the phone company used to print all the phone numbers on the internet and send it to your house in a book large enough to knock somebody out? Well, that's how I feel about fermenting beer in closed tanks without AccuBrew. The industry can be better by being digital. AccuBrew is simple to install, simple to use, and one of those how-the-hell-did-we-ever-get-along-without-it products. For less than a case of beer, you get real-time fermentation feedback on your current gravity, temperature, and clarity. If anything is slowing down or just simply out of the range you set for your recipes, it'll alert you, your brewer, and whoever else gets paid to fix it. Making better beer in 2023 is not an option. Install AccuBrew as soon as you possibly can, check improving beer quality off your list, and get back to figuring out how to be profitable in this industry. All right, Chad. Thanks for sticking with us. This has been a a, marathon. It's a hard job, man. Drinking (sighs) beer, hanging out, people that I like talking to. I can't even imagine. So I got some logistic questions for you Mm -hmm. about kind of like how Beervana has covered some of the things that I've seen in these states. But 
what I really want to get to is the whole mixtape thing. So I'm going to need you to answer some Beervana questions before we can get there. Can you do that for me? I, I'll do it my best. Okay. I promise I'll open this bottle of instinction if you do that. Let's do it. All right. <clears throat> so one big problem with U.S. craft distributors is the lack of drop depth. And so like, what we find here is that, and I've heard this from a variety of other places, but there's a lot of craft distributors in Texas um, and, and across the country that we've worked with. And what essentially I've heard a concept that they're they're all essentially working on a, a hot shot model in the sense that the depth of their drop is not profitable. Hmm. And so one of the things that you find is like they use a metric that's and we'll get to this in a second, but a metric that's about like profit per retailer per week. But um, do you, did you guys do you guys have a minimum for delivery? Is it like one case, ten cases, a hundred um, cases? How does that work for you guys? Yeah, so in Asia it's usually a case minimum. For because we're B two B, so one case. I want to definitely follow up on this too. It's like yeah. um, Birvana from the beginning has always been B two B, business to business. We don't sell direct to consumer for different reasons. Like we can, but we just don't. Our goal is always support our customers, which is our wholesale customers. You can meaning it's legal, absolutely but, legal. Yeah. Um, we just we chose to really focus on, hey, how can we support the bars, restaurants, and retail established off prem and on prem to get them to sell our beers because like at the end of the day that's a lot less work for us so we're doing like hey to you and to you it's a lot more work and like also it's like better for us in volumes and everything else what we did one of the things that we realized really quickly is like okay you can order a case minimum of of we don't want to break cases right like any distributor in their distribution models like we don't want to open we don't want to break cases we don't want to like open up cases and lose bottles and breakage and counting and all that stuff we learned early on like in a market where we're paying six dollars wholesale per bottle sometimes you gotta break cases so our minimum order is always a case for wholesale but you can uh split the case so it can, can be, be like a mixed case mixed case absolutely and that, that actually we, did, we were the first people to do that and it really helped us gain momentum because like all of a sudden the bar is like well you're demanding us to keep it cold which is different than we're used to exactly so we have we okay we have a fridge we can fit some bottles in now you're telling us that we need to order a whole case of something that costs $120 a case, like fresh squeeze IPA, $120 a case. They're going to be like ah, 24 bottles. Okay. I can probably move it, but that's a bit of like, now you're taking up my, 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 my total stock is really limited. So we're like, okay, fine. You can order three, 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 try out. It's also awesome for our suppliers in the long run. Cause we start to see what works. Like, Mm-hmm. They're going to start stocking that fridge. They're going to have like a wide variety. Things are going to start moving. And they're going to say, hey, actually, I need a case of fresh squeeze. Yeah, or the winners are going to get. Exactly. Yeah. So it starts, it gave like, it's like giving a sample pack, you know, like a sample tray. You know, like, here you go. You got like a variety pack of everything. So now you can start selling everything. So, yeah, we, we split cases. Yeah, that makes sense. The only rule is case minimum because like logistics, like even on a scooter, like, gas and everything like yeah at the end of the day like we're gonna lose money if we do less than that so <laughs> well it's a little bit different you guys have a lower operating cost but yeah, if you're running a big truck and you're not in country lower operating costs yeah, yeah. for sure once we get past import customs bonded warehouses etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah i mean obviously labor's cheaper distribution costs are cheaper fuel is more expensive but we have scooters so yeah so <clears throat> i touched on earlier the metric so a lot of the guys in, in Texas specifically I know of, and I'm, I'm fairly certain, at least nationwide in the United States, they use the metric of retailer profit per week, okay. meaning that there's a minimum, sure, but the accounts that we give a fuck about 
are the ones that are creating X amount of revenue per week for us or profit per week for us. And, and that works for them. And it's because they have like a, a Bud Miller Coors in the portfolio, which obviously you guys don't really have. So what metric do you use? Like what makes the most sense for Rivana for six? What, what, what spells success for you guys? Customer satisfaction. Like yeah. honestly, like we're, I guess we're horrible at that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like fuck spreadsheets. I can't wait for Aaron and Brian and Lee to listen. It's like, Oh my God, Chad. Like, no, at the end of the day, like we're just really happy to see people enjoying our beers. Like, Obviously, we know our top tier customers, our top 20%. You know, it's 80-20 rule, right? 20% mm-hmm. of your customers do 80% of your business. Like, we know who those are. We know that. But we don't have a prop per week or anything like that. Like, it's it's more, I mean, I guess we're, we're craft focused. So, like, more focused on, like, customer satisfaction. And, obviously, sales is absolutely imperative. But, like, we just want to make sure that, like, people are happy and drinking the beer. And, like, we see sales going up. We're good. But obviously, if you bring in a, a container or half okay, a container so, of beer, yeah, it doesn't the move, then obviously you're right. going to get okay, a can, So again, right? the, the crux of the discussion is like, okay, yeah, if we bring in a container of beer and we realize that beer is a dud, that sucks. We, we do have metrics for that, but like it's more of like, it's so different depending on the type of beer, where it's sold. Is it, so one big difference between America and the rest of the world, or at least Asia, is that like, like the United States, I think like most consumption, I think 80% of the consumption or 70%. Somewhere in there is off-prem. So people buy at the grocery store to get home and drink or at the barbecues of friends, whatever. Mm-hmm. Asia, it's like 80% on-prem. People drink at bars, at restaurants. People don't drink at home. So yeah. grocery stores don't sell six packs or 12 packs. They sell singles. So talk about breaking cases. Even the biggest grocery outlets in Viet- in Thailand are, break- are selling singles. You never see six packs ever. 12 packs, unheard of, unless it's like, Seeing our Tom. So a totally different model, yeah. Yeah, so it's a very different model. And to adapt to that was a big challenge. And also, it's, it, it's, it's cool because, like, you get more connection with your customers, like, when you're on-prem because you're getting to know, like, what the customer's drinking every night. Like, to go to the bars, like, okay, I'm looking around. I don't see any fresh squeeze on the table or I don't see any um, stone on the table. Cool. This bar is not really working for us. I see all Singha. Um, but, like, you get reports back from retail. Retail is growing for us. Especially during COVID, they're going. People are starting to change their drinking habits. Drinking at home, the only choice they have. Yeah, because yeah. you can't drink at bars. <laughs> it's all closed for a long time now, and that's cool. And we got there, but yeah, we don't really like. It was more of a getting to know each retail establishment, and they all have different needs and different sell rates. So we don't have a set sell per week. <laughs> yeah, it's more organic. You know, or what doesn't. Yeah, I, I think that's the key to to especially new markets. It's more organic, like. You can't say, like, these metrics that work in the States, throw them out the window. They're not going to work over there. Yeah. So that's actually a good follow-up. So obviously people listening to this are going to be like, holy shit, uh, Chad seemed like a nice guy. I'm pretty sure that I could sell some beer over there. If I'm considering going international and I've got a small brewery, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going directly to distribution. I'm about to open next week. I'm going to call these guys up, and I'm going to try to pitch on my beer. What do I need to have in place before I even talk to you? Send us samples. (laughs) <laughs> if it's not good we're probably gonna take it and like we're all beer nerds so we're gonna be like now caveat to that we're gonna taste it we're gonna be like okay this is great not good for the market like we're all beer nerds who love sours and crazy stouts and stuff that might not work yeah um but if you have great beer great marketing great sales program like you show us what you're doing taste it product come rise and we're like oh my god this beer is kick ass we're gonna bring it in um because we we want good beer Actually, I'll tell a cool story about that. Uh, Melvin Brewing out of uh, Wyoming, Jackson Hole. Um, 
There's a lot of stories about that brewery. They're awesome, though. Long, long story. They approached us and they said, hey, actually, the former Stone Cells guy was working for them or working as a distributor. Yeah, he was sales. running their whole. Like, yeah. He helped he, them out quite a bit. You know him, right? I don't know him personally, but okay. I heard the stories. Yes, yeah. friend. Um, he's like, he's like, hey, man, uh, I have this new beer. You guys should get it. And we're like, ah, man, our portfolio is full. We like to go uh, inch wild, mi- inch wide, mile deep. That's one rule we always talk about. It's like, we don't want to go. We don't have a portfolio full of duds. We want to have a very short portfolio. We want to go very big with all of them. So mm-hmm. like, really focus on growing them, fostering them, get them in a the market, and go big. He approached us and said, hey, it's Newbury Melvin's kicking butt. You want to taste them? And we're like, hey, man, like, I haven't heard of them. They sound pretty good, but whatever. We're not interested right now. So let me see Let me see new samples. So the problem with sending samples to Asia is they're not cold-chained. They're going to arrive rough and tumble. Maybe get through customs. Maybe not. Maybe they'll throw them away. We don't know what's going to happen. Especially an IPA or whatever. 100%. Yeah. So they sent Hubert, which is a Melvin Pell L. They, they sent a 2x4 and a few other beers. And we got them all in. It sat in customs for like a month. Did they send the Pilsner? Uh, I'm not sure they did. They sent the Jesus, the Mexican lager. So it gets there. And me and Brian, we, we accept the package. And me and Brian are beer nerds. We're like, oh, God, he arrives for him. Let's throw in the, we'll throw it in a cooler with a bunch of ice. Two by four, double IPA. We're like, oh, man, we double IPA. It's going to taste terrible. Crack it open. Pour it in a glass. We both were like, holy shit. This beer is good. Taste Mel and Hubert MPA. Oh my god, how is this so good? It was even like destroyed in customs, like thrown through X-rays and stuff. Like this beer is still awesome. So like nobody's heard about this brand or anything. We, we say, you know what? Take a risk. We're gonna put on the next shipment. We got a room for a pallet or two. Hey Melvin, guys, we got you. We're gonna order all these beers. They won the the beer associations like beer of the. Oh, this is after that? No, it's right before. So it literally, but you had it, already ordered it. It arrived on our shores the day or like the week after. They won the the beer awards of like the best beer of America, or whatever bullshit. Best. I think it's for their IPA, wasn't it? Yeah, or something Melvin Pellow, the Hubert Pellow. Yeah, they were like and two by four, and like we're like it was so awesome, so fortuitous. Like they crushed it, like it 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 flew out. It was so cool. Yeah, I hate hype breweries. Like just intent yeah. for whatever reason. They, and I'm sure that you could like talk to my therapist about it, about it, and she could explain to you what's wrong with me and why I hate them. But I, I can't stand the whole hype concept. And so when Melvin kind of came on the scene. They really didn't have a lot of like a pedigree and they just they sort of got this like great feedback or whatever. I'm like, oh, fuck these guys. This is stupid, whatever. And I had their Pilsner in a bar once in uh, Round Rock. And I was just like, they make good beer. Dude. God damn it. <laughs> so um, it's good. Their it owner, really good. their sales guy came out to visit us, man. They 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 know beer. They love their beer. They're also yeah. like they're nerds. They love like Wu-Tang Clan. Like everything's influenced by that. And, yeah. Like, oh, tell you some stories, but fun times and they make good beer. You know, and like, so that I think that was it. It was like, if you they, want to sell us your beer, send us samples. And like, if it holds up, like, even if we've never heard of you, like, all right, we'll take a risk on you. Cause like, this is good beer. You know? Yeah. <laughs> as long as the, the product's good, you can move I, it. I sure. think that's it. It's like, you know, I, I've listened to your podcast a few times. And like there's a whole thing about sales and marketing and versus like quality. But like then the day, all those things, if you have great sales and marketing, great. That's a bonus. But if you don't have a good beer to start with, you got nothing. Yeah. What are we working with at that exactly. point? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of which, we're going to talk about your great beer. And uh, I was going to pour this. Why don't you tell us what it is because you brought it. I'm going to pour it, but we're going to take a quick break yeah. so that it'll yeah, be in the middle. Yeah. So so um, Russian River Brewing, which is one of the, in my opinion, the best brewery in the world. In my book, Except I actually. Except for New beer. <laughs> I appreciate that. In my book, I actually say that uh, there's a lot of breweries that have grown and they've done different things. But uh, in my opinion, that Carbach was never craft. 
and that Russian River Brewing will always be craft. It doesn't Dude, matter if Vinny isn't there well or not. Said. Yeah. Vinny and Natalie have, I mean, it's my hometown. Santa Rosa Brewing, Santa Rosa is literally where I grew up. It's like I spent my, most of my growing, uh, childhood time up there. And also I spent my drinking period in like t- Your 19, formative t- years, <laughs> 1924. I lived in Santa Rosa and yeah. I lived one block away from Santa, Russian River Brewing Company. And I hated craft beer at the time, but I drank damnation every day. You just didn't know. Didn't even, I mean, Oh, man, I should tell the story about the Old Vic, actually. There was a bar called the Old Vic in Santa Rosa on 4th Street. It was like an old British bar, and they served old British beers. But they allowed us to play punk rock. All of our friends' bands played there. Like that little stage in the background, in the back. Strip mall kind of area. A big investor came in and bought out the whole strip mall area. Kicked everybody out, including the Old Vic. And said, like, we're going to invest in new businesses and... We were all angry about this, punk, punk rocker kids, but like, fuck that. The, one of the first businesses to move in that space was Russian River Brewing. <laughs> so we were all like, fuck Russian River Brewing companies, fuck them, we're never going to go there. I don't, who cares about beer? Fuck them. Like, we're going to drink PBR and whiskey all day long. Cheap beer on a Sunday, $12 pictures of damnation. Okay, fine. Our morals were loosened. We went there. They actually have a beer that's inspired by Little Vic. Now we've learned the story. Like, they were respectful of that. They didn't know. They didn't know what was going on. They just rented the space. Now one of the most famous breweries in the fucking world. <laughs> Literally changed the landscape. Literally. Yeah. And, like, I mean, like, they're consistently rated as the top three. You know, like, they're always up there. Like, Bells tries to get up there, and they won the last few years, whatever. But Russian River makes a lot of good uh, beers. Blind Pig is the best beer in the world, in my opinion. Blind Pig IPA. Or Blind Pig. Paleo, I think it's called, but yeah. It's Blind Pig. I don't know. It's in between. Yeah. Uh, Pliny the Elder is pretty good. Pliny the Younger is pretty great. But their souring program is bar none next to none well, when they started it like yeah at the end of the day like they have barrels that were at other breweries oh they, like, and, and now they're and, in, yes well i'm sorry as as a mixed culture brewer who has spent a lot of years figuring it out Vinny and the people who worked for him didn't fuck up near as much as i did and i'm sure they had batches they dumped oh, and i'm man. sure they had bottles they shouldn't have sold Dude, he was brewing but, but he was brewing at the winery like he was He's been brewing for a long time. He's, yeah. he's a nerd. <laughs> I appreciate you giving me credit for that, but at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is I'm a piece of shit, and he <laughs> made great beer. But yes, they make great beer, and you make great beer, man. Like your, your now, beer's awesome. Yes, yeah. Like thank yeah. you. You should do a new Bromfels collaboration with Russian River. <laughs> nah, that would be cool. That'd be sick, man. Send some barrels back and forth. Some friends work over there. Try to convince them. All I've right. been trying to import. By the way, I'm trying to import Russian River to Thailand forever. I've been talking to them forever, and like they're like. They don't have the capacity. Like, they're very... Yeah, it's tough. They don't, they, don't, they don't distribute outside of California, barely. It barely gets outside, so... Yeah, they would send it to Falling Rock in Denver, but that was, like, the only place even there. Like, occasionally, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, only because they like Chris, who's unfortunately out of business, which is one of the worst things that ever happened to crap beer in the United States, in my opinion, but... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm not Different podcast for a different day. <laughs> yeah. So, the beer we're about to drink is called Intinction. It's one of their souring, sour beers. It's a Pilsner aged in Sauvignon Blanc barrels with Sauvignon Blanc grapes. That sounds amazing. It's going to be great. And in about two seconds, we're going to drink it. But we're not going to let you guys uh, have to listen to us pour it. We'll be right back in a second. All right, with that, I'm going to wrap up the Beervana section of Chad's interview with me. We're a bottle of wine and a few beers in at this point. But we go on for about another 45 minutes talking about his career with Mixtape Beverages, the the contract brewing project that he started over in uh, Southeast Asia. And I'm happy to put that into episode 17, so I'm releasing both at the same time. Just continue right on over to that one and hear the rest of Chad's story. He's a super awesome guy, and I'm proud to have him on the podcast. All right, peace out, guys. See you later. 
so you're not getting out of here without at least a thanks from me for sticking around. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out my others. I feel confident that my guests and I have something very special to share with you. Also, remember that the book that inspired this podcast is now available on Amazon in Kindle and good old-fashioned paperback. I can't encourage you enough to pick up a copy, but I am happy to try. If you're feeling generous, you can support the podcast in a couple of ways. Please give your time, attention, and money to the sponsors of the show. And you can also sponsor the show directly with a link in the show notes. Positive reviews are also a great way to digitally high-five my guests and I. And while I may be the raucous host, these people have bared their souls for you, and I can't thank them enough for their honesty and desire to selflessly help improve your career. I want you to know that you are meant for more than mediocrity, and that no one ever achieves greatness without a stumble or two. But most importantly, always remember, mistakes are just weakness leaving your business. Free play. Media. Media.